About four years, four weeks ago, we started our current uh, series called Outflow. And um, the main scripture that's related to this, scripture, this teaching is Acts 1, 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And we're seeing here God pretty much describe the method in which he wants us to be about his business and um, the pattern of him flowing in us and that it flowing out of us. Now, throughout the series, I've been referring to the wall um, fountain in my front of my house. And the water represents the power of God. It represents the Holy Spirit in us, our source. And then the first tier represents Jerusalem or me, my personal relationship with God. That's everything depends on that place for all of us. As we anticipate going out to the community, it depends on our relationship with God, what comes out. And so we get connected and encountered with God through times of prayer, uh, reading his word, fellowshipping with believers, sharing, and serving other people. Now, the second tier of the fountain is Judea, which refers to relationships and family and friends that we have. And we're constantly being filled up with the relationship with God that it begins to splash onto people around us. And your family and friends should be the first line of or level that experiences the splashing of God in you and out of you. The third tier represents Samaria, which is the community around us, especially people that are not like us. And we saw last week how the father, the, um, the father who had that son, who was that prodigal son, we saw how the father was actually more the prodigal because he prodigal means recklessly extravagant. We saw how Father God is very reckless about his forgiveness, his acceptance, and his love of us. And then we realized that as we looked on to the story that the angry older son is really sometimes where we're at. We're more like the angry um, older son than the prodigal father. But the good news is that everything that the father has is ours, including his extravagant love. Now, the final level of outflow is the biggest pool of all, and it is what reaches to the farthest corners of the earth. Now, you may be feeling a little intimidated about this, and that's okay, but part of that level is to proclaim salvation to the four winds and seven seas. We're going to pray. Now, Lord, I just thank you for um, those 29,000 pennies that are being distributed in our hands, opportunities, Father, for us to bless the community that we live in, the community that, um, that we touch with at work, at school, in the neighborhood. And, Father, I just pray that um, each one of those pennies would really count for advancing your kingdom. And, Lord, I know sometimes we don't ever get a chance to tell them, hey, I'm doing this because I'm a lover of Jesus. And um, we know that, Lord. Sometimes we don't get that chance to do that because sometimes our acts are anonymous, Lord. Or it's just not appropriate to say that. But, Lord, I pray that you would make um, our gestures of kindness in this community make a difference in San Antonio. And, Lord, as we um, continue in this series and complete it today, Lord, and then next Sunday, Lord, we get an opportunity to bless the community in a more practical way, Lord. I pray that you would infuse us with your love all week long. So, Lord, that it truly would just splash out of us onto the people that we touch. 
Lord, we love you and we bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, as we look at the last part of this verse, we're going to see that we are a sent people. And we play a key role in God's plan for the world. Let's look at John chapter 17, verse 18. Jesus prays his father about his followers, and he says, Just as you have sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Now, Jesus isn't just talking about his 12 apostles or the 120 disciples of that time. He was talking about us. In 2 Corinthians, it states the following. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that's me. Anybody else? Any of you in Christ? Okay. He is or she is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God has reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them anymore. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making us his appeal through us. Second Corinthians chapter five, verses 11 through oh, 17 through 20. Now, Paul proclaims that anyone who belongs to Christ is a new person and the old way has passed away. And there's a new way of thinking, a new way of being an opportunity to be more like Christ and less like us. Our sins have been forgiven and we're now ambassadors of a message of reconciliation. And it seems clear to me that if you're going to be a Christian, you're going to be an ambassador and naturally what's going to flow out of you is this missionary call that we're sent people to a hurting world. Now, most of you, when you think of being uh, being sent, your first image is of a missionary, maybe to Africa or Asia or some faraway place. And many of you know that we are currently supporting and praying for many missionaries. One in Ukraine, Steve Cyber. Kenya, Dave Osborne. Hungary, John and Jofi and their two girls. And the Cage family in France. And many of you know that for the last two years, we've been sending um, teams from this church to Costa Rica to do short-term missions. And that we actually have several uh, young people who are praying about doing SOS next summer, which is um, Summer of Service in Costa Rica. And we're also praying about possibly doing short term in, um, in India next summer. So at the end of our fiscal year, okay, um, I just wanted to let you know that our church has given 15% of our income to missions. Now, not many of you know this, but before Randy and I had kids, Randy and I were full-time missionaries in Mexico. And Randy, then we came back, and Randy then uh, studied at Fuller Theological Seminary because he felt like he needed more in in order to do uh, better at missions. And so he um, got a degree, his master's in the School of World Missions. And every Thanksgiving, until we moved to to San Antonio, since we've been married, every Thanksgiving we would go to Mexico on a short-term missions. Since coming here, we've gotten into Turkey. But I just want to say this, not to, like, you know, make us look good or anything, is for you to realize that what I'm about to say should not erase the commitment and love that Randy and I have for missions. We strongly believe in supporting those whom God has called from our church 
and have faithfully served our church into the mission field. But I also understand that some of you will never board an airplane. You'll never go overseas, and you'll never go to another country to be a missionary. And in fact, many of you have probably been communicated by God already where you're to be a missionary. And it's somewhere closer to home. Now, although some of you are have participated in life-changing short-term missions and long-term mission assignments, many of you will never travel fa- farther than your current surroundings. Now, I have a video clip that I want us to, sh- to see. It's called Pay Attention by Jim Henderson, who is the director of a ministry called Off the Main. I was Main. in a grocery store, and I was... Love is patient, love is kind, love is not rude, (laughs) love bears all things and hopes all things. I was in a grocery store and I was buying something and I was in the checkout line and the young woman, she has a little button on it that says we're trying to adopt. And And I looked at that, I don't think I've ever seen a person with a button saying I'm trying to adopt. And you know, I would try to imagine in that moment the groceries are going by in the scanner, people are behind me, what it would be like to wear a button saying, I'm trying to adopt. That seemed very vulnerable to me. I said to her, are you really, are you just, are you really trying to adopt? Yeah, that's what the button says. I said, oh. I said wow, that's very you know, impressive or courageous. So I, I paid attention to her. Most of us like it when people notice us. We, we like it especially when they specifically notice us. When they say something about us that means something to me. In the course of that, I said, I know some people that are trying to adopt. You know what? I'm going to pray for you that you get to adopt that this works out. I'm out of the checkout line. To an evangelist, that is such a non-story. You know, a pure evangelist, it's such a non-story. To most people, Christians, it's a huge relief. They think, if I could do that, and I would even like to suggest that I set the bar fairly high, because I said something to this woman. We would count it if you just noticed her. This is rooted in a, in a belief uh, born out of Matthew 10:42, where Jesus said, if you give a cup of cold water, to a little child in my name because you're my disciple you will not lose your reward and as I reflected on that passage I started thinking it seems to count to God if we give something away as small and ordinary as a cup of water to someone powerless and uh, non-interested in us as a child who probably doesn't even know what's happening to them but God notices so it turns out God's counting things we don't count and we believe that in other parts of our life but we don't believe it about evangelism we don't believe it And all I'm suggesting is we need to broaden the meaning so that it does count when we just simply begin to notice and take people into our heart. You know, it's tempting to ask God to send somebody else. (laughs) Isaiah 6, verse 8 says, and this is um, in which the prophet responds to God calling him, he says, here I am, send me. Now we're going to study this morning, um, the passage we're going to be studying from is Moses' reaction to God's call. And it's from Exodus chapter 3 and chapter 4. So let's turn there to Exodus chapter 3 and chapter 4. And I'm going to um, read, starting from verse 9, you can read the verse, first nine verses on your own. 
And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this very mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and they say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what's his name? And then what should I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And then we're going to go to a couple other more verses. Moses answered, what is it? What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, what is it that's in your hand? A staff. He replied, and the Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground, and it became a snake, and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake, and it turned back into a staff in his hand. And then in verse 13 of chapter 4, but Moses said, oh, Lord, please send someone else to do it. So while Isaiah jumped at the chance to go wherever God was calling him and sending him, Moses pleads with the Lord and tells him, you've got the wrong man for the job. And finally he begs, Lord, please send anyone else. Now the question is, what is your response? Are you like Isaiah or are you like Moses? Here I am. Send someone else. Send Aaron. Send Billy Graham. Send the youth. Send the pastor. If your initial response to his call is to make excuses like Moses, you are not alone and you needn't be ashamed. Because Moses was one of the greatest biblical heroes of all time and he's just like us, a hundred percent human. Now, if you can identify with any of Moses' excuses, then you're right in good company. Let's look at some of his excuses and maybe you can identify with them. Who am I? In Exodus 3:11 we read, but Moses said to God, "Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt?" In essence, Moses is telling God, "I know that you're all knowing most of the time, but you are dead wrong this time." And often like Moses, we hear God's still voice, small voice sending us to act or to speak or to be, his hands and feet, and our first thought is Whoa, hold on a minute, you got the wrong person. And sometimes we miss the obvious. I mean, have you noticed, if you think about Moses' past, he was perfectly fit for this call. He was a slave person, so he had relationship and blood interest with the Hebrew people, and yet he was raised in royalty with the pharaohs. And then we see him um, also, it's just um, realized that his entire life is a life of experiences and skills and giftings for this very call. And like Moses, we often do not grasp that God knows who we are. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our limitations. 
He's been there. In fact, he's been using your whole life experiences preparing you for the call that he has for you. We have our ups and our downs. We have our failures, our tribulations, and our personal heartbreaks. And God has used that and wants to use that to fulfill the very call he's given us. And you know that on our own, we cannot do this alone. We have got to have God's power. And so when God sends, he comes. Because he would never send you without him partnering with you. God promises Moses, I will be with you in Exodus 3.12. And even with all the experiences that God had given Moses through his childhood, the tools he had given him, the staff, the support of his brother Aaron and his sister Miriam, still Moses needs God's presence and power to succeed. Now, I have the privilege of doing um, a lot of counseling, particularly like premarital and some marriage um, counseling. And although I have a lot of experiences and skill, I know that unless I spend a concentrated time in prayer seeking God, that the, the time together is not going to be of any benefit. I need God to show up. You need God to show up in your life and do the things that he's called you to do. Now, of course, Moses did succeed because Moses, first of all, went. And then God came with him. And countless of people were set free because of his obedience. How many others might be set free if we as a church would go where we're called and sent? Now, I want you to interact with the people sitting around you, okay? So if you're not sitting around somebody, find somebody. And I want you to ask this question and use your imagination here. What observable changes would be seen if everyone in our church went where they were being sent And God went with them. Okay? Talk. Benjamin, Matt's over there if you want to find Matt. And Terry, you turn around, you can see um, Peg. It's up on the board. And Glenn, would you partner with Joseph behind you? You see there? I want to make sure everybody's got somebody to talk to. Okay, good. I'm not going to ask you to share, just to treasure that in your heart and think about that. 
I have this scripture. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any power, neither height nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 8, 38 and 39. God not only sends us, but he also will go with us the whole way. Now let's listen to another excuse that Moses gave. What if they don't believe me or listen to me? In Exodus 4, 1, Moses answers God and says, What if they don't believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you? And like Moses, this is one of our objections to going as God's ambassadors. We really don't feel like we have much of a testimony that's dramatic enough to establish any kind of credibility in our community. And Moses voices this objection. God's answers to him by saying, what is that in your hand? Now God takes a simple shepherd's staff in Moses' hands and miraculously transforms it into a snake. Um, I don't think he got trained by David Alter to do magic tricks. Okay, I think this was uh, an encounter of God's power using the simple things of life to empower it for the miraculous. And some of you are thinking, well, if I had a staff that turned into a snake, I think people would take me seriously too. But I don't, so I'm really off the hook. But the same question that he asked Moses, I want to ask you. What is that in your hand? Moses had a staff because he was a shepherd. If Moses were an accountant, he would have a calculator. Whatever is in your hand, our unique history, our knowledge, our skills, our experiences, our profession, our opportunities, for God to establish credibility so that his message can be heard. For example, if you're a young mother and you have children in preschool and your hands are certainly full, God can use those hands to reach other families. A friend of mine uh, recently talked to a missionary from China. And I don't know if I got the story all the way straight, but I did get this part straight, which was she didn't, wasn't much of a speaker and didn't have a lot of talents because she was just a stay-at-home mom, just a stay-at-home mom, which I've done for a long time, praise God. And so she um, really didn't know what she could offer to the community. So she decided to reach out to her community by having a workshop on how to change diapers. How many people showed up? 45 people showed up to a workshop on how to change diapers. So moms, ask yourself, how can God possibly transform my diapers and my toys and my blankies and use it to change lives? Moms have an amazing spiritual influence, yes, not only in their children, but in their community by helping other people figure out how to parent. Now, Melissa Williams started a mom's play group through our church, and this is how she describes the group. This group is perfect for mothers of young children who are looking for a place that their kids can play. They can connect with their mommies, with other mommies, and meet once a week, usually on Wednesday at 10 a.m. to play. Imagine saying usually. With moms, that's how it is, usually. You never know what time you're finally going to get somewhere. We do lots of fun, energetic, and educational activities throughout the year, including swimming, playing at parks, and going to the zoo. Contact Melissa with questions, her phone number, her email, and come play with us. Now, Melissa is learning to use what's in her hand. She's learning to allow the tools that God has given her to reach 
her community and to help other mothers who are trying to raise kids to feel some support, some practical advice, and emotional help. Now, you don't need to join Melissa's playgroup to be used of God. Everyone has something in their hands. Patsy Boozer makes delicious candies every Christmas. And basically, I think with those candies, she could bribe anybody to say the sinner's prayer. I'm looking forward to my box this year. And I will say the sinner's prayer again if that's what it takes. So do you cook? Do you play golf? Do you play tennis? Do you have a lawnmower that works? Would you stop and pray for someone who just got in a car accident? To help you get over the I can'ts, I want to read some of the I can's from MOPS, which is a mother's of preschooler uh, ministry. I can accept people around me for what they are. I can be a friend. I can be real. I can offer hope in the daily minutes of life. I can help others in crises. I can serve. I can keep trying even when it seems hopeless. I can trust God for the results of my efforts. Now, I want us to stand because I want you to say that I can. I'm say them together. Ready? I can accept people around me for what they are. I can be a friend. I can be real. I can offer hope in the daily minutes of life. I can help others in crises. I can serve. I can keep trying even when it seems hopeless. I can trust God for the results of my efforts. Is that doable? Sounds like practical evangelism to me. You can be seated. And for some of you, this is very natural. You guys have been doing this already. And as Jim Henderson said and pointed out in the video clip, outreach begins simply by noticing others and taking them into your hearts. It is relief to realize that authentic outreach is very relational. Now, recently I had a gentleman um, asking me some questions, and he said to me, so what is your church all about? I said, relationships. We're a relationally-based church. Our relationship with God, our relationship with one another, and our relationship with the community. Now, the third excuse that Moses puts up is, I am not very good with words. Moses said to the Lord, O oh Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to, to your servant, which was about five minutes ago. And I am slow of speech and tongue. That's Exodus 4.10. Now, a lot of people can relate to Moses. The thought of having to give a gospel presentation is a bit intimidating, and you want to run and hide. Now, in a great book called Now That You Are a Christian, Bruce Bickle and Stan Yance advise new Christians, followers, not to worry too much about their words. And they point out three word-centered jobs that God absolutely is not sending us to do. One, we're not sent out to be Jesus' public relations agents. We don't need to build up a bunch of hype about him. Sharing Jesus is just letting people see what Jesus is doing in our lives. We're not Christ's sales force. We're not getting paid a heavenly commission for every soul we sign up. Now, that kind of mentality is more of a Mormon mentality or Jehovah Witnesses. We're not God's marketing consultants. He doesn't need us to position Jesus in people's mind 
or to use elaborate tactics to make them want to find out about him. God sends us into the world just as ourselves. And in addition, God promises to help us in those moments when the right words just don't seem to be there. Let's look at Exodus 4:15, And we see that God tells Moses that I will put the words in your mouth. I will put the words in Aaron's mouth. And I will be the one to instruct you on what to say and what to do. And Jesus makes the same promise to his followers. In Luke 21, 15, you know, his, we as God's people are going to be put in situations where we're going to be persecuted. As things change in our world, um, becoming, being a Christian is becoming less and less popular. And so it's only because we're being authentic Christians that is going to have of any benefit for our world. So a lot of disingenuine and unauthentic Christianity is being mocked at this time and under pressure, which I think is a good thing. It gives us opportunity to really shine in the midst of what's been said about uh, Christians. But in Luke 21, Jesus says, I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. The bottom line is we should not let worry be the reason for keeping us from being missionaries in the world in which we live. Now, I want to share a mentality that blocks us from reaching out. And it is the difference between come and see and go and be. It takes a lot of initiative to have deeper relationships and deeper conversations with the world and to connect with the world around us. And it would be a lot easier if God would just bring them through that door, wouldn't it? It would be a lot easier if he would give us a boatload of money and be able to build a church, the state of the art church in this city. And as much as that would be a blessing and that would be helpful, the, the idea of if you build it, I will come is really only true in the movies. Okay, we have to be people who understand that it is more about going and being. And then they will come and see. And God is calling the world to come to the church, yes, but he's calling the church to go first. We must go and be the church in our world. Now I have another video clip that I want you guys to see, and some of you like this one more than the other one. I had to do what I had to do. Mary Jane. Peter. I can't survive without you. You shouldn't be here. I know you think we can't be together. Can't you respect me enough to let me make my own decision? I know there will be risks, but I want to face them with you. It's wrong that we should only be half alive, half of ourselves. I love you. So here I am, standing in your doorway. I've always been standing in your doorway. Is 
Isn't it about time somebody saved your life? We don't want to see all the kiss and stuff. <laughs> Our DNA has been altered. We have become a new being in Christ, and we're no longer content to wait for the world to come and see and see what we have to offer. We have been given power to go and to be what we were meant to be. Christ followers can stand by living comfortable and self-absorbed lives just does not work anymore. We have to look beyond ourselves and freely give away the power and the presence of God to people in desperate need. And just as we would be selfish for Peter to sit by and not use his power for good, it is selfish for us to sit by and not use our God-given joy to change the lives of people that we interact with. We won't make a difference sitting safely in our web, waiting for the world to come to us. We've got to get out into the culture where the real action is and be part of the world that God meant us to be by being salt of the world and being light of the world. Now, Jesus tells us that we are the salt and the light of the world. And, you know, an interesting thing about salt is that if it doesn't make contact, it doesn't make any difference. We've got a box of salt here, and we have a salt shaker. Now, this is where you guys get to talk again. And I want you to tell me what are some of the things that affect the salt affects when it touches. Okay, you need to be a little louder. Flavor, okay, for food. What? Ice, yes. When salt touches ice, it melts it. Preservation. For wounds, that would hurt. It kills snails. Does it make you thirsty? Absolutely. Makes me thirsty. Okay, notice that no change is, yes, it cures acne. Wow, that would be a lot cheaper than going to a dermatologist. Okay, the scripture is from Matthew 5.13. Sorry, I moved around you guys, but you can catch up. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. Now, salt is not going to change anything unless it comes out. Otherwise, it's just going to get hard in there and crusty and be of no value. It has to come out. Okay, so if we're salt of the world, that's what God wants us to come out. (laughs) Jesus even warns us that it's possible for us as salt to lose our saltiness. And this is what I think he means. I meant for you to be salty. But if you continue to refuse to come out of the salt shaker or you continue to harden your heart to the purposes I have for you, it is possible that you would lose your ability to be salt as I intended. And that happens when we come to inward focus as a people and stop being outward focused people. Now, in our community groups, we often talk about these four elements, upward, inward, outward and forward and Any community group that becomes inward and forgets the outward becomes a deformed community group. And we become deformed people. And we become like that salt that gets crusty and hard or tasteless. Now let's look at the symbolism of light. 
Now, light draws our eyes to the source. The bad news is that we live in a world that's full of spiritual darkness, fear, hate, lust, selfishness. And the good news is that God is the light, and he gives us light to walk by. And he also tells us, you are the light. And we become light to others as we point them to the Lord. Now, there was a couple that used to come to our church. They now have moved to Nebraska. And when they first came to the church, they were not believers, but they were seekers of truth. And um, the gentleman uh, used to play on the drum set for us. And even though he wasn't a believer, he wanted to use what was in his hand to bless the community. And one time, um, through the love of the, the worship team and through the messages that Randy was giving in the, that series, he was significantly touched and he experienced God's love and power. And that day when he was playing the drums, he began to weep because he realized, I want to be like these people. They have loved me, and I want that love and that source inside of me. So that day he prayed to receive Christ. Now, his wife was not prone to emotionalism, and she was really actually a lot more analytical than her husband. And I remember week after week she'd come to me and she'd say, "Um, what do you think about suffering and there being a God who's loving And what do you think about forgiveness for things that you've done that are really bad? And what about kids? And how do you discipline kids? And every week she'd ask me another set of questions. And when she came to our church, she was very anti-kids. She was anti-spanking. She was anti-anything that had to do with children and raising kids. And she finally decided, like her husband, to give God her life and to let him be in her life. And to be the source in her life. And the reason was because she saw a community of people that had love and gave her love unconditional. And now the big issue for her, one of the big issues for her was relative to her own personal childhood. And she was afraid of repeating what had happened to her. And so as we began to realize that and unpack that and give her forgiveness and give her ability to forgive those who had harmed her, That level of freedom opened her heart for a kind of love that she had not experienced before that time. And now, you know, she is a mommy that has two beautiful children, and she's doing an awesome job. She still calls me every once in a while to ask me, what do you think about this, Clara? And because one of the things she said was watching your girls and how they love you and how you love them has been part of my journey to see that I need a God who is loving You know, we never know what part of our life people are watching. And what is it about you that's going to turn the switch for them? It may be that you manage well your budget. It may be that you play with your kids and you play with the neighborhood kids. It may be that you have integrity at work. You don't cheat on your time card, even though others may. And you don't leave your work for someone else to do. It may be that you stopped your car to pick up the trash can in the middle of the street when you thought nobody was looking. Every day, Christians are meant to be light in our world. And every day, it is the little things that do count to help people move toward our eternal destiny with our Heavenly Father. We are constantly encountering people and constantly having opportunities to impress a person and be salt and be light for them. Even the smallest light can lead someone home. Jesus tells us, let our light shine before men 
that they might see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Now, when I was in Costa Rica last year, um, we did different projects while we were there, and some of them were handing out free coffee and Coca-Cola. And one of the youngsters from another team came to the leadership and said, I don't get how handing out Coca-Cola is considered ministry. Now, that wasn't from our team. Our team had done things like that before, so they had kind of a different kind of attitude. But this was new for this youngster. And, um, you know, our team was one of those folks that had to hand out coffee and tea at the plaza there in San, um, the city of San Jose. And while we were doing that, there was this couple standing afar off watching. And I could tell they were watching, so I'm just giving and talking, and everybody in the team is giving and talking and having a good time. And it begins to rain. And we're still now putting up our umbrellas and giving coffee and drinks and stuff while it's raining. And finally this couple comes up to me and says, and they came up to me not because I was doing anything exceptionally different than everybody else, but because I look like I could speak Spanish. And I do. Why are you doing this? Is it really free? And so we began to engage in this conversation. And suddenly he said to me, what is important to God for me to do to be saved? I mean, what was I do to be saved? That was biblical. I mean, here was this person asking this question. We had a great time conversing, and later he asked me, where do you go to church? Now, there was nothing that I was, I had no sign that said I am from any church, whatever. I, I don't know, we may have been wearing our shirt. Oh, yeah, okay, so we had a little card that said we're, this is a practical way of showing God's love. And so anyway, so then this person is just like really impacted by what's going on because he says nobody gives anything free in Costa Rica. That just doesn't happen. And so um, anyway, I invited one of the other leaders to come and talk to him that went to the vineyard church that we were representing there in Costa Rica. And so he was given a business card. And, you know, this is the way God is. He lived two blocks away from the church. So even if he didn't have a car, he could make it. So we go out and we be God in our community, our world, and they will come to see what we're about. We must not be afraid at any point to point them to the church. This gentleman, I'm going to be gone. He's not going to see me again, probably ever until heaven. But he needs a body to raise him, to help him to grow in his relationship with Christ. And it may not sound like a big deal to you that we gave Coca-Cola out to people, but to me, that man counts. And every man and woman and child that we bless with Coke and coffee counts to God. Calvin Miller once wrote, Love the world as large can only be done by loving face to face the world that is not so distant. So for salt and light to have reaction to create some kind of response, it needs contact. Just like a seed needs to have contact with the soil in order for it to have new life. In Matthew 13, 3 and 8, it says, Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow in seed. And as he was scattering the seed, some fell upon the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. And I believe this is what happened when we have new believers and we don't work with them. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they were withered because they had no root. 
Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Now, when you think about sowing seed, many of you think of a gardener that's carefully putting seeds all in a row. Very calculated, every seed is going to count. But in Matthew 13, the sower is pretty reckless. Again, we see a reckless father. Jesus is constantly showing how reckless and prodigal our father is. Successful planters know that they have to sow lots of seeds before new life takes root in Jesus, in people's hearts. The sower here is obviously not afraid about wasting seed. He's not concerned where it lands. He is just about throwing it all over the place and hoping the sun will land a good soil. And I just want to say this, that I think some of you, your reason or excuse for not sowing seed is because you feel like you have very little seed in your bag. You're exhausted. You have only so much amount of time and energy And after taking care of the family and your personal business, you really don't want to waste the scarce resources you have on anything but a sure deal. And some of you might be thinking, well, I think my bag is completely empty. I've given so much compassion and love to my family that I have nothing left to give. I want to share this story. It had been a crazy day at the end of a stressful week. And emotionally, Janie was running on empty. By skipping lunch and rushing through the last few hours of work, she managed to leave half an hour early in order to buy her son an iPod for his birthday. Traffic was particularly bad, and she was finding a hard time to park. The last thing she wanted to see was the long lines at the computer store. Hoping the line might shrink by the time she returned, she headed for the restroom. When she got there, she was shocked to see that there was a man in the restroom trying to rinse out some severely soiled baby clothes while the mother tried to console the shivering naked baby. A rush of inspiration replaced Janie's weariness and inner emptiness, and she sprinted to the nearest Sears department store and rushed back to the bathroom. By this time, the couple were now trying to dry the clothes under the hand dryer. Janie stepped up to the couple and said, God wants you to know he loves you. So here's a bag and two sets of clothes for your beautiful baby. The couple were speechless at first, but then they began to cry. And instead of being drained by the unexpected experience, Janie was energized. And she realized that a young couple was walking away with much more than a new baby outfit. They knew that God really cared about them personally. The famous theologian Martin Luther wrote, quote, If we have faith, the believer cannot be restrained. He betrays himself. He breaks out. He confesses and teaches this gospel to the people at the risk of life itself. God delights to transform our scarcity, our overwhelmed lives, to an overflowing abundance. He wants to fill you with God's love so that you have enough to flow out. Okay, we're going to go into ministry. And um, this morning as I was praying for the service, uh, one of the things the Lord said was that I was to ask the congregation um, for what you were hearing from God. What was God saying to you? 
Okay, Anna? Hmm. Hmm. That's awesome. So the Lord is saying, am I not enough for you? That's awesome. Good. Now, that's a prophetic word for all of us. What you guys have been hearing is for the body to comfort, to build her up and to edify her. Are there other words? Okay, Adrian. Hmm. Okay. So you're feeling that the Lord's saying they need light and you're that light and they're really in a dark place and they need to know my love. Good. And God's calling you to share that with them. Awesome. Thank you. So God's saying we don't need to necessarily look for people. We just need to notice the people that are around us. It's a good word. Are there other words? Okay, Joyce. He did know that. That's awesome. That's cool. That was a gift from God through you. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Anybody else? For some of the things you were hearing while I was teaching, you felt like God was interrupting your thoughts and Good. So he's challenging you to grow more in your relationship with others. 
That's good. That might be a challenge for others in this room. Anybody else want to share? good. Anybody else? Dave? Yes, that is very true. Mm -hmm. A lot of people are afraid right now. What's the future going to look like? And we can let them know God's going to be there. He's really very prepared. He's going to use it for good. He's going to flip it. Mm-hmm. He's sovereign. Okay. What I want to do now is last week, several of you stood up because you felt like God had, and I know some of these people that stood up are upstairs now with the kids, and the kids were upstairs or down here, so you missed the message, so, oh, well, it's okay. But anyway, several of you stood up in response to um, the sense that God had already told you um, who you were called to minister to. And some of you, um, I said, had gotten it wrong, but some of you had gotten it right, and some of you actually God wanted to speak to you about what he was doing. And um, I really would like, for those of you who are are here that stood for that, to come forward and to share with the congregation the people that God has called you to reach out to. Because this is part of, um, it's kind of like baptism, You know, God's already saved us, and when we get baptized, it's a declaration of our commitment to God and God's infusion in our lives. And it's a declaration to us as the body of Christ to see where this person is and to come alongside in their growth. And I want to give an opportunity for folks who stood there to have a a place to declare what God was saying and for us to be able to come alongside and be about helping through prayer or any way that God would show us. So... I know this takes a lot of courage because you haven't all worked it out, and I don't expect you to have it all worked out. We may not see this come out of you for another decade. I don't know. But would you come forward? Because I want the folks to hear what God's been doing. Just come on up. I know there were several of you that are still in here. Um, I stood up last week because I was reminded of a group of people that God had called me to years and years ago. I was maybe eight or nine, and I got the impression that the Lord was calling me to um, reach out to the rich, the powerful, and the beautiful. And what I've seen the last ten years has mostly been um, very weak, vulnerable, um, hurting people. And, you know, and that's who I've been reaching out to. So I was just kind of like, okay, Lord, what are you you doing with this? And um, as he reminded me of that last week, I just thought it was kind of wild because um, 
the schools that I'm applying to are full of those kinds of people. Um, so the, very, the next four years of my life could very well be reaching out to those kind of people. So it's just, it's just how God's timing works, and it was cool. That's neat. Thank you, Priscilla. We got to pray for her, huh? This is, you know, how it is in college. <laughs> it's not easy. And if you're this little voice, want this little light of mine? You know? <laughs> so, who else would like to share? How many of you responded to this? Because maybe everybody's upstairs. Okay, Jim. Okay, Jim. Do you want to share? You have a microphone back there? Okay, why don't you go ahead and use it? Hello. Um, well, one of the things I've been praying about is uh, going back to Costa Rica for the long term for the summer. And I felt really drawn to those people, even though I speak no Spanish. So um, right now the Lord is just kind of telling me to sit back and listen uh, for what he uh, wants me to do. So that's where I'm at. All right, good. Anybody else? Joseph, do you want to share? It's a beautiful, I think, mission that the Lord has put in your heart. It's not you. It's this is not about you, Joseph. This is about what God's doing in you. Are you up, up for sharing? You can say no. You're not feeling well? Okay, then we'll we'll pray for you. Anybody else want to share? Okay. Well, we're going to pray for Jim and Joseph and Priscilla. And I know there are others. They must be upstairs or not here. Um. Some of you in this room while I was talking, you know, we're moving into ministry. I don't know if I'd said that yet, but we're moving into ministry. Some of you, as I was talking about missions, felt like, okay, here it is again. This thing is happening inside of me. I want you to stand if you're one of those people, whether it's short-term or long-term. Are you guys standing back there? Okay, so I'm sure you guys get included in this. All right. We may end up all standing. It's okay. But I just want to get them all out there. Um, if you are a community group leader and you would like to see your community group more expressive and outward, would you please stand? If you want to be more outward and more expressive about your love to Jesus, to the world, would you please stand? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Wow. Well, this is going to have to be God because there's a few of us are sitting not because we don't want to stand for in those things, probably because we want to minister so, I'm not really sure how to do this. <laughs> Come, Holy Spirit. <laughs> yes, it's a good prayer. That's what I'll do. Let's just lift our hands to him and let him do what he wants to do. Holy Spirit, I just invite you to come and fill us.
Give us a passion, Lord, for you, first of all, for everything you represent. And, Lord, give us a passion for your cause. Father, change us, fill us. Give us a passion for the rich and the beautiful and the successful people. Father, give us a passion for those who do not have a clean glass of water to drink. Father, give us a passion for Costa Rica. Give us a passion, Lord, for Mexico. Father, give us a passion for the homosexual, for the rebellious teenager, Lord. Father, give us a passion for our neighbor who's been irritating us to every way they irritate us, Lord. Father, give us a passion, Father, for our family that do not know you and our friends, Lord, who mock you. So come, Holy Spirit, fill us. Father, fill us with power. You said that you would send the Holy Spirit. You would send us power, Lord, so that we could be witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So come, Holy Spirit, impassion us, Lord. Fill us with power, Lord, that comes from you. You said you would send us and you would come. That you would come with us, Lord. There is no way, Lord, I can do anything of value without your power and your accompaniment. So, Lord, let them now experience your power in them. And let them know they do not go alone. We do not go alone. We are a people filled by the power of Jesus Christ. And let our motivation be love, Lord. Even if we can't say the gospel straight, that love would be our expression, Lord. It would be our motivation. And Lord, translate anything we boggled up with what we said so that what they hear is correct. <laughs> and we'll get them, Father, in intimacy with you. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right. You may be seated. We're almost done. Okay. Well, I think what I want to say is that next week, as a reminder, we will be here from 9 to 10. Whoever wants to come, there will be no child care provided. And it's just going to be a time of worship and prayer for for us and for the community that we're going to reach. And then um, Sunday, then about noon till 2.30, we will be at that park. Now, some of you are going to want to come early to help set up. Some of you are going to want to come early to just hang out and be a part of moving things. And some of you are going to want to stay behind afterwards to tear down things and clean. And But all the community groups are going to be participating in one way or another, um, providing activities and fun things for the kids and adults to do. So um, check with your community group leader this week about how you can participate and what your part is. If you're not in a community group, please get involved in one because that is where you are known and that's where you can know folks and that's where your care is going to come. It it can't come from me. Um, This last week I had to repent before the Lord because I realized I was one of the key reasons why our church has not grown. Because I do not understand yet that the backbone of this church is community groups. And I cannot be all things for all people. And so I've had to repent of that before the Lord. 
and um, tell you that I'm sorry about that. And so it's your turn now. I guess that's how that song goes. <laughs> it's your turn now. Something's got to change. Okay. And dated Carmen. Was that the 70s, Randy, or the 80s? It's old. Anyway, God bless you. If you need ministry for anything we didn't talk about, it matters to us. Come up here to the front, and there will be folks to pray for you and love you and kiss you and fill you with God's power and strength. Okay, we'll see you on uh, Sunday, 9 o'clock here.